Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads on Polarization. Joseph Shepard, I serve as the Chief of Staff at Lead for America, which is a national nonprofit service-based organization. We're focused on mobilizing America's best leaders to return to their hometowns to tackle critical challenges in their communities. And the topic that I'm discussing today with you all is the polarization and or political divide that we see in our country, particularly because as Lead for America looks at the approach of retaining talent and mobilizing young leaders to tackle the challenges in their community, we do that through multiple lenses. But one of the lenses that we really try to deploy into our fellows is the bridge building mission, which is working with not only leaders that think differently than them from an ideological standpoint, but community leaders that think differently leaving them as well. We believe that one of the biggest threats to our democracy in our country is that the polarization continues to grow each and every year with every single election, whether that be at a local, state, or federal level. And so we are trying to close that gap in helping our community realize that we have more in common than we do different, which I think is something that we hear a lot. But what does that really mean? When we sit down and we talk about the issues that truly matter, they're not Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. They're issues that impact all of of us. When we talk about economic development, when we talk about the digital divide, when we talk about our education system, healthcare, etc., those are all issues that are getting in the way of a healthy, vibrant economy and creating communities across our country that are prosperous. And we should all be able to get behind a lot of those core values and core issues. And so that's what Lead for America is really focused on. So I'm already hearing a lot of different people at play. Why is this issue so important to you? So at Lead for America, we're all about building a strong civic bench of leaders. And it's important to us because we know the challenges that are facing our communities, particularly in rural communities and urban communities, most people in those communities, right, they don't care if a Republican is getting it done, if a Democrat is getting it done, they care that progress is happening, right? And so when we talk about when everybody leads, when everyone leads, doesn't matter who it is, right? It's everyone, everyone in the room, everyone in the community. And we know that in order to build a strong civic bench, it's going to take everyone. And literally from those who are in preschool all the way up to those who are retiring or leaving their service position or career position to pass on that institutional knowledge to the next generation, it takes all of us to build strong and vibrant communities. And we've got to work together and be a unified front if we want to make progress on these issues. That's such a wide range. I guess it would be like different levels mm -hmm. at that point mm -hmm. and based on your background maybe different levels there of what you would care about yeah. uh, have you experienced any of that 
Absolutely. So one of the unique things about Lead for America is that we have our National Fellowship Program, and then we have what's called the American Connection Corps Program, which is focused on closing the digital divide across the country. But we pride ourselves because there's a wide range of fellows in our program. We say that we focus on the next generation and building a civic bench of world-class leaders. We have fellows who are 18. We have fellows who are 45, middle age, older, seasoned is what I like to call them, are seasoned leaders in our country. And ultimately, we pride ourselves on that because age doesn't dictate your capability to lead. And that's something I heard a lot, you know, when I was seeking running for public office, whether it was school board or even the opportunity I had to seek to fill a vacancy on the city council. The feedback that I heard a lot was, you will be so great in five to 10 years from now. And it's like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm also ready to lead, learn and serve now. And a lot of people in our community are ready to do that. And I also think for our seasoned leaders in our community, they often get stigmatized with this idea that because they are of a certain age, then they don't fit into a certain community or demographic either. Like we don't want them in rooms where we're talking about issues impacting young people. And I disagree. We need that seasoned and institutional knowledge in the room where we're talking about issues that impact young professionals because we need the innovation, the energy and wisdom of our young and upcoming leaders. But we also need that institutional knowledge that our seasoned leaders bring to the table. So I think because of my personal experience and because of what I've been able to witness the framework of Lead for America do, not only for the people we serve, but the communities we serve most importantly. That's why I feel so passionate about this, which is why I made that jump, leaving my dream career working at Newman University in higher education to going over into nonprofit to work on this, what KLC would call adaptive challenge, because it's so necessary. We need more people talking about talent retention from the lens of actually mobilizing young leaders to work across lines of differences to tackle challenges in their communities across the country. One of the ways it seems like it might be personal for you, like Lead for America, is you've put yourself out there and been, in a sense, told no. And so now you're Publicly, role... several times. <laughs> I mean, the primary, you definitely won. That, yeah, I so. did, I did, yeah. You're almost in a role where now you're trying to create a system where more people are encouraged to say yes to right. different kinds of people. So it feels like this is a way for you to address challenges that you've personally experienced yes. in your life. Yes. I mean, when I stumbled across Lead for America, the first thought I had was, this is right on time. I was feeling really defeated. Went through my time at Wichita State University, and a lot of people told me, you know, you can get much further if you just leave Kansas. Go back to California, move to Washington, D.C., and at every single no, this this is home. I want to be here. I'm up for the challenge. Ran for school board, was successful in the primary, then got to the general, and again, no. And I worked really hard and knocked on more doors than I could have possibly imagined and, and really engaged and put myself in communities that I felt often made me uncomfortable, but I knew that it was necessary if I wanted to build that trust. Got told no there, then went to go on and seek city council vacancy and thought that I was prepared and I had proven myself and got told no there. And all these things happen publicly, right? And so I think naturally, most people would say, I'm going to take my bat and ball and go home. But for me, it was, no, I want to ensure that other people don't experience what I have experienced. And I want to challenge the community that I love to give more young leaders who are passionate and ambitious and love their community the opportunity to serve, learn, and lead in their community and make a difference. Because the truth of the matter is at 29 years old, I don't know everything, right? And no, I have not been a CEO at 29 years old. And no, I don't have a decorated career 
that has 15, 20 years of experience, but I do have something to offer. My passion, my innovation, my creativity, my experience, my experience, whether that be growing up in poverty, my experience, whether that be growing up with all of my identities and the layers of who I am, and the experiences that really have taught me the importance of resiliency, compassion, empathy, and also the beauty that I hold of being somebody that is who I am on one side of the political aisle, but I also hold my faith very close to me, right? And so the intersectionalities of who I am, that is experience that young people can bring to the table that I often believe are missing from government, that are missing from nonprofit rooms, that are missing from community organizations that is so necessary in order to move the needle forward. When we look at Kansas, declining population, brain drain, we hear it all the time, talent is leaving, talent is leaving. It is so critical for communities like Kansas to create ways to mobilize everyone to be a part of making progress on the challenges that we're facing. So when we look at literally a declining population and the brain drain in our community, that's going to take Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, those who are not politically affiliated. It's going to take those who have faith values, those who are not connected to their faith values. It's going to take those who are younger, those who are older, those who are felons, it's going to take those who don't have a criminal record at all. <laughs> so if we really want to talk about what it means for everyone to lead, I mean, we really have to get really uncomfortable and provocative and say, do we really want everyone to lead? Because here's what I think it means. We have a shortage in our workforce. How are we mobilizing our felons to get a second chance to get back into our workforce? We have a childcare crisis. Well, what does it mean to create more opportunity for folks who don't see themselves going to college and earning a four-year degree, but are really great with children mm -hmm. to open their own at-home daycare, right, and have that experience? Yeah. It's really about the innovation, and I think that's what Lead for America does. We bring people together and say, let's get provocative and let's ask some tough questions. Let's make tough interpretations, but more importantly, let's work together to move the needle for all of us, for everyone. I really resonated when you said that you are on one side of the political aisle, but you hold your faith very dear to you, and I'm the same way. And you also said that things have gotten more polarized. Being on both of yeah. those sides where you can see both of those sides, yeah. why do you think that it's become more polarized? I think because we make one interpretation about a particular type of person. So if you have faith values, right, or if you share that publicly, then this must mean X about you. And leading in a political space, I found it very interesting how I would share my faith and it would make some of the people in my particular political space very uncomfortable because they thought it meant, well, how can you advocate for this and believe this mm -hmm. and it's like yes Why? and yeah, this exactly. level of duality of it has to be black or white there's no room for gray mm -hmm. has really put us as a country in a position where we just stereotype and put every person in one box you know my ceo is vastly different than i am and i'm his chief of staff i'm his right hand man and we work well together why is it that we can't see more people leading like this and saying no we probably don't believe the same thing on certain issues, but we do care about moving the needle for homegrown talent in our communities across the country. And we've decided to work together to do that 
tough work because this is where we can agree. And even when we fundamentally disagree, we can disagree without being disagreeable, Mm -hmm. right? It's okay for those tough conversations to take place. We just need to get better at having better debates Mm -hmm. and not walking away from folks and turning our nose up at people who simply have a different interpretation on an issue than us and be willing to lean in and ask more questions and be curious of, huh, so I've heard you say this, what experience happened in your life that led you to believe this way? And then I think when you give people the opportunity to open up about their stories, you start to see the thread. Okay, this is probably what happened. And then that leads you to have more empathy and compassion and understanding, even if you don't agree, Mm -hmm. you have the opportunity to understand better and to empathize a little bit better than before. I think instead of debating about things, we're moving over to arguing more about things and name calling rather than having factual reasons and having a discussion and what really is going on in your life and why you believe the way that you do. What concerns you the most about the polarization? Our inability to make things happen for the greater good of our community. When we cannot work together simply because we feel someone is different, when we can't walk into a room and work with someone who may have opportunity or resources that can move our communities forward, but we refuse to walk into that room, we refuse to utilize those resources that that other person, community, organization has to offer simply because we disagree on a fundamental value, we end up hurting people. Mm -hmm. We end up hurting community. I look at Wichita, for example, and I look at 67214, which economically is probably one of the poorest zip codes, not just in our city, but our state. And I think if that community had a leader that was unwilling to reach across the aisle and work with different people, regardless of their stances on particular things, guess what? We wouldn't be moving the needle on infant mortality rates that are heavily impacting 67214. We would not be able to move the needle on saving recreational activities like we were able to do for McAdams Park and Pool. That would not have happened without consensus building and the ability to reach across the aisle and say, how do we do what's right for people? Even if you don't agree, even if the numbers don't make sense to you, how do we work together to move the needle? The food desert. The childcare crisis, that's why it's important and that's why it's concerning is because the more we become divided, the less we can do for people. I mean, you look at the news today, you see things that are happening in Washington and much respect to the leaders who are serving our country and doing that important work. But sometimes you get discouraged because you say, you know what, this is becoming less about the people we want to serve and impact and more about us. And we all lose when it becomes about us and not about the people. I like to pride myself on being able to work with anyone. 21-year-old Joseph wouldn't pride himself on that. (laughs) But 29-year-old Joseph is like, I don't care if you have an R or a D or an L or nothing behind your name. I want to make progress. I can hold true and firm to my values while also understanding that I can work with somebody to make things happen for the people that I want to impact and serve. And we've seen time and time again here in Wichita, we reap the benefits when we have consensus builders at the bench and able to work together. You said you're 29 a few times and oh my gosh, it's just so shocking. I'm 29 <laughs> and I've grown. Wichita really has helped me grow. And you know, there's the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. I am a living proof 
that it really does take a village to raise a child. I was not supposed to be in Wichita. That was not a part of my trajectory. I literally came here in 2011 to what I thought was visit my father and his church at his new pastoral charge. No way you were going to convince me to move to Kansas. I'm going to go back to California, go back to school there, and came and fell in love. And I have not looked back ever since. So I love this community. And this community has seen me fall. It has seen me fail. It has seen me struggle. It has seen me win. And at each point of my life so far, this community has just been really a, a huge part of my growth. As somebody who grew up and has spent most of her time here in Kansas, it is wonderful to hear somebody I love Kansas. who has not grown up here, who was not born here, say that they love Kansas. Yeah. I usually hear people saying that Kansas is the worst. There's nothing to do here. Yeah. Let's just give it a chance. It Bro, really isn't that we, bad. We got to get those people to drive in and not drive through, yes, fly in and not exactly. fly over. I've lived in Nevada. I've lived in California. I've lived in Oklahoma by virtue of my dad serving in the military and then his pastoral charges. And there is no place like Wichita. And a lot of people are shocked when they're like, you weren't born and raised here? And it's like, no. But I think the opportunity to go and experience other communities is what allows me to appreciate Kansas. So I love the work that we do at Lead for America, not only because we focus on bridge building and addressing the political divide and polarization, but it's about getting people to see the beauty in their communities through working with people who are different than them. Because I think that's when you see there's opportunity here. I don't have to leave my hometown to be successful. In fact, I can make a difference by staying and be a game changer. That's what we want to do. What is your aspiration? With Lead for America? With Lead for America and with polarization. We teach this to our fellows. Sometimes progress or success doesn't mean that you've resolved the issue fully, right? I like to say sometimes you plant a seed to grow a tree that you will never be able to enjoy the shade of. So sometimes it's just about planting that seed and sometimes you won't see that tree even blossom, but you've planted that seed in five to 10 years from now because you planted that seed, there will be shade for somebody else to sit under. And so for, for me with Lead for America, we're planting that seed during a time where a lot of organizations are not talking about polarization. They're not talking about the political divide. They're straying away from it. There are lots of organizations who are choosing to not even have elected officials on their board because they don't want to become polarized or appear polarized. And for me, my aspiration is that because of the work Lead for America is doing, our communities across the country will be more comfortable working across the aisle and leaning into the tough conversations of how do we work together to make progress on issues that impact people? Again, going back to the childcare crisis, I don't care who you are, how you vote, if you have a child that is in need of reliable, safe childcare, you want to see something done about this issue. Economic development, I don't care who you are, how you vote, what you believe, you want to see your community booming. You want business, industry, and talent to come to your community. Digital divide. I don't care who you are, what you believe, how you vote, how you identify. You want your children to be able to access their education online in a reliable, safe way. You want to be able to reap the benefits of e-commerce for your community. And these are issues, again, that impact people. So let's make progress on it. And so that's my hope. 
Chris, you might get a little mad at me because I'm going to ask a question that's definitely not on the script. The issue of abortion, people thought that it was going to be a lot more polarized than what it was. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised when the results came out and Kansas is known as this red state and the results came out and it did not show that whatsoever? Were you surprised by that or were you like, yeah, that's Kansas? Interestingly enough, I I was not surprised. (laughs) This is why I love Kansas. We think for ourselves. We don't play by the quote-unquote rules. And I think that particular result highlighted that there is a gray area for us. This level of duality of it has to be this or this. There's no in-between. And I think Kansas said, "Mm, there's some gray there. And we feel comfortable being in the gray here. And I think that's what it taught us. So I wasn't surprised. I was proud, not necessarily because of the results. People were like, Kansas sent a loud message. And I'm like, well, we did. I don't necessarily think it's the message that you may be thinking. The larger message for me was that we are free thinkers. Kansas is saying everything is not black or white. There is gray. And I think that is what we are trying to highlight is that most people operate in the gray. There is not a yes or no. It's a yes and. Mm -hmm. We can care about this issue and believe this. And we may not believe it's our place to decide for other people. I actually really like that question because I think it like (laughs) underscores this point about Kansans are complicated. Kansas is complicated. People are complicated. What if we went into interactions assuming that people are complicated and not simple and not this one thing that they show up as, but there are lots of different aspects of people that you can access and you can find that point that you can connect with them if you really have the willingness to try. Yeah. When we dare to see people not for who we want to see them as, but for who they truly are, we dare to open up endless possibilities for our community and for leadership and for so many other things. And I have a good friend even right now who's seeking city council and people want to bring up what he did years ago in 2012. And I shared with someone, hmm, I have people who bring up things that I did in 2016, 2017, when I was 21. And my leadership style and the way I saw leadership is vastly different than I do now at 29. So do we not have room to evolve and grow? Where's that grace? We are complicated people, right? And we we grow every single day. At any age, we can grow at any age. We can gather information and change our minds at any age. (laughs) Absolutely. People deserve room to change not only who they are, but change their minds. I once thought this and now I don't anymore. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That is okay. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back to the polarization, right? It's so interesting. We talk about restorative justice and things of this nature in our society. And so I often like to practice that in this conversation about polarization whenever I'm talking to someone is, yes, someone may have said something years ago that was not okay. Where does restorative justice and empathy and compassion come into play? And I'm not saying to forget or to not be weary or concerned, but what's stopping us from giving them the opportunity to prove to us who they may be now because people as you've said grow and learn and evolve and thank goodness are you ready to start putting the idea of everyone leading into practice join us for a new one-day program based on klc's best-selling book sign up at kansasleadershipcenter.org and don't worry you won't have to listen to my voice or brianna's voice teaching the whole day we'll be delighted to have you a part of the when everyone leads community 
When no one wanted to hire Joseph Shepard, who was a student body president coming out of Wichita State because they thought Joseph Shepard was just difficult to work with and whatever they labeled me as. There was a man named Ed O'Malley who was seeking the governor's office at that time who said, I hear what people are saying about you, but what I see is an opportunity to learn and grow. And, and I want to take this bet on you. And because Ed O'Malley opened up his door for me, I'm here now giving back to my community. But Ed O'Malley did not have to do that. In fact, it would have probably served Ed well to just say, don't want to touch it like a lot of people did. But he said, yeah, no, I'm going to raise the heat and I want to take a chance on this young man and let's see what happens. Well, because he opened his door, I was able to see leadership from a vastly different perspective. And my time working at the Kansas Leadership Center transformed the way I saw leadership. But it took Ed O'Malley somebody who back then I would have never given the time of day, would have never thought this guy was going to take a bet on me. It led me to believe, huh, maybe I should give people who look like Ed, who think like Ed, who talk like Ed, a chance. That has led to me being in rooms with people like Ben Hutton and listening to Ben Hutton give business advice and say, huh, I've never thought of it like that. That's now a new perspective that I hold. So when we open up ourselves to sit down at the table or engage with folks who we traditionally don't believe would have our best interests or have anything to offer us, what we truly are doing is expanding our hearts, but also expanding our minds to be able to look at issues holistically instead of from one point of view. And I don't know about you all, but I want leaders that can look at issues from multiple different lenses and not just one vantage point, because then I know you're not only taking my thoughts and my experiences into consideration when you go to vote or make a decision, but you're truly taking everyone's experiences, thoughts into consideration as well. And that's what we need. We need a strong civic bench of leaders who, sure, hold certain values and they hold firm to those values, but also at the same time, they can lean in and say, let me go and ask this person who probably... I wouldn't traditionally meet with, talk with, consider, see what they think. So that way I can make an informed decision, not just for the people who are counting on me, but for those who probably don't think they can count on me. About the community rather than just a, a section of people. Absolutely. Who are the factions of people currently involved? I believe if we're going to make progress on this issue, of course, it's going to take everyone, right? But I also believe specifically millennials and Generation Z, we have a unique opportunity to rise up and collectively come together and say, today's a new day and the time is now. And we see where things are going, but we are saying no more. And I think that would send a powerful message to see this upcoming generation say, yeah, I'm not going to lead that way. I'm going to lead this way, which is why I'm really excited to see people like my good friend Dalton Glasscock running for city council, and I'm behind him. And we actually ran against each other for student government when I was at Wichita State, and I ended up winning. But I have a funny joke like, yeah, I won the battle, but he's going to win the war mm. because, you know, he's going to make it to city council before <laughs> me. And here I am still hoping that one day, long, long, long off in the future, it will happen for me. But I'm proud to be behind him, not because we're friends, but because I know that he will listen and he will engage to people who are different than him. And he's proven that. There are so many stories I can give about Dalton, but that's the faction that I'm specifically thinking about. Gen Z, millennials, how do we rise up together and say, you think like this, I think like this, that's okay. 
how do we make progress on this adaptive challenge? I actually have heard that a few times where a lot of the young commentary people that I listen to, young for politics is 30s, 40s. Yeah. So they're like in their 30s and their 40s and they're talking about how young people are just getting sick of a lot of things and they just need to start running yeah. and start doing things. And you don't need to be a certain age. And for some reason, we have this mindset going that you need to be a certain age to be able to be a good leader. Age does not dictate your capabilities to lead. And for some reason, we keep thinking that it does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's this, what I call outdated way of thinking of, you know, if you are of a certain age, whether that be younger or seasoned, then you are not best suited for a particular role. And it's like, well, yeah, there may be some learning curve. There may be some cons, but there are also pros. I think what's more powerful for me is when we're talking about issues that are impacting young people specifically gen z millennials how powerful it is to have that representation at the table there's this saying nothing about me without me let's stop talking about the child care crisis without having parents at the table working to solve that issue and let's stop talking about homelessness or poverty without having the folks who are living it every single day at the table let's stop talking about talent retention without having talent at the table because i think the people who are most informed are the people who live it every single day and we've got to do a better job of saying yeah i have some expertise and some institutional knowledge and also there's a gap missing and how do we fill that gap And that, again, goes back to polarization because polarization is not just about political divide. It's just about stereotypes that we hold Mm -hmm. about certain people, demographics, populations that we have to be intentional about acknowledging when there is a bias and then work to eliminate that. When you think about why things are the way they are, like when Gen Z and millennials, what makes it difficult for them to authorize themselves to lead? And for Xers and boomers, why is it a challenge for them to let these younger generations lead. Where we have failed, I think, as a country and a nation is mobilizing our opinions in a productive, healthy way, right? And so KLC teaches this, raise the heat, but raise it to a level in which you can still be productive. And many times when we're having discussions like this, I see us raising the heat, but rarely do I see the conversation being raised in a way where we're still able to be productive. And so I think it's a matter of mobilizing our opinions about why it is so important to give millennials and Gen Zs the opportunity to lead in some of these spaces and helping other generations that have come before us, acknowledging the value that they bring to the space as well, while also helping them recognize some of the gaps that are just naturally there as time evolves. And guess what? 10, 20 years from now, a new generation is going to emerge and millennials and Gen Z, we are going to have to have this conversation too with ourselves and saying, The world has evolved, and as the world has evolved, so have people, issues, time, needs. And while our institutional knowledge will be valuable, we also need to make room at the table for the next generation to be there to offer their input as well. So I think that's been the issue. So the message to our Gen Z listeners is, yes, you too will be old one day. You will not get around it. That is true. Yes, absolutely. And to make room at the table for those who are coming after you to say, you don't have to pay your dues, quote unquote. I used to get so hurt when people would say, pay your dues. 
that's so subjective and relative for every person. I'm 29, but I've experienced poverty. I know what it's like to sleep in a car and get washed up in a McDonald's restaurant. I know what it's like to struggle through college financially as a first-generation college student. I know what it's like to experience a lot of things. I know what it's like to have custody of my nephew and to be a parent while my sister was going through some things in her life. So excuse me that I didn't pay my dues in the traditional manner, but I've also seen things that most people might age have not, which has prepared me to mature in a way that I believe are kind of head and shoulders above most people my age. And there's some benefit to that. And we have to be careful when we tell people to pay their dues, because you don't know what someone has been through that has prepared them to be able to lead in a way that is unconventional and in a way that is so necessary for where we are right now in our country. And so sometimes I struggle when people say pay your dues, because while I can appreciate what they are saying at the core, that's also discounting anything that they may have been through in their life that has allowed them to see the world from a different vantage point and grow and emerge maybe in a non-traditional, unconventional way that others have. I'm sitting here trying to think what's a noble interpretation of that behavior. And I sort of wonder if so many of those people of those generations are parents and then they were grandparents, and maybe there's this sense of protection I know that making these decisions comes with disappointment and pain and conflict and sacrifice and public service is hard. Yeah. And I wonder if there's maybe an unacknowledged reflex of protection that makes it hard. And that's the excuse that we hear, pay your dues. Yeah. Like I am protecting you from having yeah. to make these decisions, which isn't right, but maybe I could understand that if I'm looking at it from what do they really want Absolutely. to accomplish. And there is value in experience. I've talked about a lot of the no's I've received. It's so amazing that every no has led to an opportunity for me. Every single no that I've received, especially the public no's, have led to an opportunity I would have never imagined. And because of that experience that I've gained through these other opportunities, right, I'm better for it. So it's not to say that experience doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. And it is not the only dictator of someone's ability to be ready to lead in a certain space. And that's a difficult thing to unlearn. But to your point, Chris, yes, I can understand why people want to protect, but also I'm grateful for the people who have allowed me to fall. My grandpa used to say a hard head makes for a soft behind. And sometimes you just got to let people fall. And that's sometimes the best way to let them learn. And so I'm grateful for the elders in our community that have seen me going a wrong direction and just have set back, didn't intervene because they knew it would be more powerful for me to fall than it would be for them to intervene. Their way of teaching me a valuable lesson was what I call tough love. And I use that same practice with a lot of the fellows that I serve, colleagues that I have the opportunity to work alongside is maybe I don't disagree and maybe I do see the disaster happening before it actually happens. But sometimes people just need the opportunity to fall and say, thank you for letting me fail. I appreciate that. And because you allowed me to fail, I now have a more valuable lesson than if you would have intervened and stopped it from happening. When you were talking about you having lived experiences and people telling you that you had to have 
experience to be able to lead it made me think back on when you were talking about how people are making decisions about talent without having talent in the room you're making laws and policies on things that you've never experienced you don't know what it's like to live this so you should have somebody who's experienced it who's Mm -hmm. lived that Mm -hmm. who can tell you what it's like to be on the other side Mm -hmm. if this policy does pass Mm -hmm. like these are the consequences that you are not thinking of i know this because i have lived this yeah yeah. I have this experience that yeah. you are saying that I do not have. And lived experience is experience. Mm-hmm. How you quantify that, right? On a yeah. resume, I don't know. I probably won't be putting on my resume anytime soon. Like I've experienced poverty, but I would share. And I'm also comfortable sharing in my life story in rooms and in interviews where it's like, this is what makes me different because I know what it's like to go through it. And here's what it taught me. And here's the values I gained through that, that I can bring to the organization or that I can bring to this role, et cetera, et cetera. We have to to be very mindful of how we quantify and define experience because it just looks different. It really does. Where do you see our opportunities for leadership lying? The opportunities are endless. Here locally, we are seeing new and exciting leadership rise up and saying, I want to try that out. I mentioned Dalton, but when we even look at outside of the political atmosphere, I am so inspired that There's a young leader working on affordable housing at Wichita Habitat for Humanity, Danielle Johnson. That is inspiring. It is inspiring to see an Ariel Rodriguez at Empower being 31 years old, working on reigniting the passion and the pride of the historic North End. He's 31 doing that great work that our community talks about. And so I like to remind people when they talk about the North End and the great things that are happening, He's 31, did you know that? And so it's a good reminder of like, while we are uplifting that work that is happening, also be mindful of when you say young people are not necessarily ready to be in certain positions of authority or leadership because from affordable housing in our community to reigniting pride in historic communities that have been overserved and overlooked for a very long time to Christina Long, who has opened a facility in the same location that was burnt down years ago because of a protest, right? That is endless possibility of what we are seeing in our own community here in Wichita, Kansas, of what it means to have young, vibrant, exciting leaders doing the work, and we are able to reap the benefits because of their labor. I'm so excited to see where our community goes and where our country goes. That's what we are trying to do at Lead for America. We are trying to create the next Danielle Johnson Ariel Rodriguez, Christina Long, and then put them into their communities so that they can build and empower, so that they can build affordable housing options, so that they can build entrepreneurship opportunities like Christina Long is doing for their community. And maybe it's not those specific things, maybe it's government, maybe it's economic development, et cetera, but that's what we are really wanting to do. And the thing that they all have in common is that they believe in community and For every no that they have received, they took it as a chance to say, thank you, and I'm not giving up. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't give up, look at what they're doing for all of us. We're all benefiting. Even the ones who said thank you, but no thank you, we're all benefiting from it. That just made me think that there would not even be a KLC without young leaders. Ed O'Malley was how old, right? When someone said, we're going to give you this opportunity. He was young enough to be 40 under 40, just in his early 30s. And someone took a bet on Ed O'Malley and said, huh, I get it. You're young. Also, I think you're capable. 
And because someone took that bet on a young Ed O'Malley, Ed is still young, but because someone took that bet on an Ed O'Malley, look at what we have. Look at who we are able to serve, not just people in Kansas, but the country, even beyond the United States of America. We just brought our fellows through the KLC for our winter training. And one of the comments on the evaluation was, Kansas is so lucky to have a world-class leadership center in their state. That would not have happened mm -hmm. without an Ed O'Malley, but one of them will be the next Ed O'Malley to build that in their community too. And what a blessing it is that they are able to make that connection at 21, 22 years old and see that it's possible for them in their community. We talked about qualifications and what shows someone that you should be given a chance. And I think back to your answer about community, maybe one of the questions, if not the first question, but high up on the list, we should ask if we're trying to create space for someone to lead is do they believe in the community? Right. Are they doing this for the purpose of serving the community? And if the answer is yes, then that is a qualification that we should take really seriously. Yeah. Where's your heart? To me, that's what matters most. I've just evolved and we evolve every single day, but I just look at the challenges that we are faced with across our country and think to myself that the mother who is waiting for legislation to be passed so that she can have access to healthy and reliable foods for her and her family, she doesn't care who gets it done. She cares that it gets done. Mm -hmm. The parents who are basking in the ambiance of being a parent for the first time and bringing their newborn baby home, whether that be through adoption or whatever the case may be, but also at the same time in that spirit of gratitude and excitement, stressed because there are no childcare options and the wait lists are a year out. They don't care what political party make something happen so that their child can be in a safe and reliable childcare facility. They care that it gets done. And that's what we need to start doing is, do you care about community? Do you care about the issues, the adaptive challenges that require all of us, everyone to lead? And if the answer is yes, then let's get it done. And less about I, more about we. There's a saying, I, me, my, mine. These words never shine. Us, we are together. These words last forever. And it's like, come on, y'all. We can do this. We can do this, right? It's like, I, me, my, mind. These words never shine. Us, we are together. These words last forever. Hey. And my fraternity taught me that. Less about me, more about we. And by we, I mean work with people. You may not ever agree on everything. And I'm not saying, again, change your values and just don't have any integrity work with whoever, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. You can hold true to your values and say, I need to work with you to get this done. And we can have another conversation about your voting record and all the things I don't agree with another day. But right now I'm focusing on issue. this that, issue that and challenge. Let's get it done. We need more leaders like that. What you say makes so much sense. And you gave lots of good examples of people who do that. But then I think about the default narrative we tell about how things are and how we should relate is not that. Right. And I wonder, why do you think that is? Why are we so stuck on this blue versus red, left versus right, conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat? What keeps us there? I think what keeps us there is that it's a fun narrative for us. And regardless of what party you are in, I think it creates, they're the bad people. 
they are the bad people and we have to fight against them because they're going to harm us. And it's like, huh, interesting. I will use, for example, here locally, a lot of people like to do it with county commission. They're like, oh my gosh, it's just an overhaul. And it's like, did you know that 95% of their votes are unanimous? 95% of their votes. We're taking that other 5% and we're creating this real large narrative that it's us versus them. And we've got to flip these seats and we've got to do this. And, and that's not to say that we should not challenge leaders. I think every leader should have an opponent in a race, regardless, because healthy debate, new ideas spark creativity and innovation. And that is important. But also, we don't have to create this narrative that just simply isn't true when the data is telling us the story. And I use that as an example because they are a body that is politically affiliated with a particular party. City Council, of course, is in theory nonpartisan. School Board, in theory, is nonpartisan as well. But I just think it's so interesting that sometimes we create this narrative in our minds that these are the bad people and we need to work to get rid of them. It's like, hmm, seems like they're working pretty well together 95% of the time at least. I actually had talked to my mother because I asked her, I'm like, has it always been this difficult for people to make decisions across party lines? Has it always been that way? She's like, no, I don't know why. But when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, it seemed like people could come to a decision, let go of their political views and just be like, this is what's going to be good for us. Yeah. I'm like, I don't see that anymore. I just see people being mad at other people because they say that they have different political views. I'm like, I don't like yeah. that. Now we're not getting anything done or it's taking forever to get things done. Mm -hmm. I want things done. Yeah, <laughs> we need healthy debate. It is important having different views, so important. But your comment, it took me back to the time. And I think it's a viral video where John McCain was at an event and a young lady had made a comment about Barack Obama and something that was not a kind comment comment. It was pretty egregious. And John McCain said, you know, nope, nope, we're not doing that. He's a fine man. We disagree. We have different views on a lot of things, but he's a fine gentleman. It's like, bring back those days, bring back that type of leadership where we can disagree without berating one another and tearing people down. And it is just disheartening for me sometimes when I see that we lose the couth and the class that is so necessary to keep trust mm -hmm. in our community and government. It doesn't mean that we should not speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that we shouldn't make tough interpretations. It does not mean that we should not raise the heat. But let's do so in a way that is still productive and doesn't divide or cause harm to our communities mm -hmm. across the country. And it doesn't mean a person is fake for doing that right. because a lot Absolutely. of people think, oh, they're just being nice. Now they're fake. Right. No, it's not that. Yeah. It's that, like you said earlier, you are a person. I am a person. Right. You've lived. I've lived. We're both leading this country yeah. in some way, shape or form. So we have the same goal. We want to make sure that we have a thriving mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. When I ran for office, I said that all the time. At the end of this campaign trail, right, somebody will have won. We all will have to go back to work mm -hmm. in our communities. And the work is going to be there regardless of who wins. I would much rather work in a space of productivity rather than a space of tension because I decided to do something destructive during my time running for office. And we've got to move out of this space of polarization for many facets, but particularly the political divide. So if we were going to get this right in our community in Wichita, in Kansas, what would that look like? And what might we see happening more often that's not happening right now as much as we'd like. 
really, I think it's a matter of we have to become more comfortable with taking that first step of inviting those who think differently than us into spaces where we lead. We need more people to kind of operate in that spirit. And then the second thing I would say is I have a quote as a believer in my faith, and I understand not everyone is, and faith is not a safe topic for a lot of people, so I completely understand and respect that. But for me, I want to live in a way that the values of Jesus Christ, who I serve personally, is evident through my actions, not my words, not my ability to quote scripture, not how many times I tweet a scripture, but through my actions. So I hope that when I walk into a room or when I'm in a tough situation that I'm always leading with empathy, compassion, and grace, because to me, those are the fundamental values of the higher power that I serve. And I want that to be evident through my actions. Do I always get it right? No, absolutely not. I'm human. No one gets it right 100% of the time, but I think we have to lead through our actions and not our words. We are living in a time where people can talk a good game, but when you go to cash the check, is it gonna bounce or is it gonna clear? And your actions, to me, are what dictate whether the check bounces or if it clears. Look, any check that I get better That's all I'm saying. For our Gen Z listeners, a check is the same that you write with a pin. It's just like Stripe or anything. You spend money that way. I love that. Yes, yes. One of the things that I heard from Joseph that really feels like it connects to the book to me is this idea of putting the challenge in the center. So many times in our politics, we put the other side in the center. We say our role is to defeat the other side or it's to keep the other side from getting power or to get what they want. And what Joseph talked about was, no, we need to put what affects people in the middle and get them to find a way to work on it even if they disagree or have different perspectives on it. Because the challenges that he discussed, they affect all of us, regardless of what our politics are. I 100% stand behind the fact that I have seen a lot more polarization and it's been a lot more difficult for people to agree on things. I have found it difficult to agree with other people. I never knew if it was because I was getting older and I was starting to understand issues a little bit more and how they relate to me or if it was just because of the change of climate that's been happening and things just more polarized now than what they were before and I've been forced to kind of yeah choose where I stand on a lot of things but I have noticed in myself I will be honest how difficult it is for me to have conversations with people who think differently about certain issues I can have conversations about other things but I'll be the first to say I'm not the right person to have this conversation is there an example of that you feel comfortable sharing? When I talk about my adoption and how it is very different to be raised in a culturally black family rather than what it would have been like for me to be raised in a culturally Latino family, that is very different. And when people try to tell me that has lived this life, it gets annoying because like, who are you to tell me what's important or who are you to tell me what has come out of that like I've seen so much 
racism come out of that? And how are you trying to tell me that there's no racism? You don't know. I'm telling you these experiences that I've had. And yeah, it can be something for me to say, this is how I've lived and this is what I've seen. But the statistics also back that up. So it gets really difficult for me when I'm trying to have conversations with people who are telling me that there's no such thing as systemic racism when they're trying to tell me that racism does not exist and it's just something that people are making up right now and that racism and segregation happened so long ago. No, it didn't stuff like that it's like i can't have conversations with people because i will call you a bad name yeah because they haven't taken the time to see you so it's really hard for you to consider their perspective at all because they haven't taken the step to try and at least see you and where you're coming from mm -hmm. and if they had taken that step it might make it more possible for you to consider a different set of experiences but they really haven't even created the chance mm -hmm. for that to happen mm -hmm. and there's something there about that's so fundamental to your identity that it feels like an attack. Mm -hmm. The surest way to get pushback in this world is to attack people's identity and attack these things that are fundamental to people. Mm -hmm. And it destroys the ability to hold and test multiple interpretations. A lot of what I heard felt like young people that are engaging in leadership, young being a relative term, depending on who you ask. But even starting with the influence there, that felt like a really cool way to see what happens in this book, exercise. <laughs> He's making it safe for other people to exercise leadership in a variety of different spaces. So I thought that was a really cool case in itself about how does someone in authority make spaces that are a bit more depolarized. Mm -hmm. Me being 27 years old, I found that very, one, it made me feel a little bit like an underachiever, but also it's like, okay, hold on. I'll be 28 this year. You're also saying that I'm not too young for this. If I did want to go out and do something, what is stopping me? Oh, there's a few things that are stopping me, but relatively speaking, it wouldn't be my age that should be the thing that's stopping me. Yeah, Joseph's 29, but he's graduated from the School of Hard Knocks. I mean, he's put himself out there several times and suffered the sting of not being accepted in that role. And I don't know that I wish that fate on everybody. Clearly, it has built him into a person and into the place that he wants to be doing the things that he wants to do. But I think there's also something that just following Joseph's path, if that's you, then go that direction. But I think the lesson from Joseph that I'm taking is find your path, find your way to care about your community, find your way to get involved, find your way to take that step. Find your way to ask the questions that nobody's asking. Find that thing that only you can do and do it with others and find others who want to do it with you because that's kind of the other part. Yeah, he brought up what three other younger people in the community that are Dalton, Christina Long, mm -hmm. Danielle Johnson, yeah. That are all yeah. leading in their ways in the context of what they want to lead in and they're making fantastic changes in Kansas. Chris, what you're elevating here too, I'm looking at the book again, Barriers to Progress. Our toughest challenges involve loss, and Joseph can talk about that. The toughest challenges, he felt quite a bit of loss, or at least that's what I was hearing too, and to think for people doing this work on polarization, I'm really curious what other losses there are. It sounds like the narrative of there are winners, there are losers, that's a loss. You could go down the line to capitalism and then you can go down the line about American exceptionalism, mm -hmm. which, you know, we talked with Eric Liu about a little bit. And 
I could see a whole identity crisis just by choosing to be a little less depolarized. Mm -hmm. When you had asked what makes people feel that way and he was talking about identity, I'm like, yes, absolutely. I can see why people are that way where they're like, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm holding dear to that. And if I start to think a way that's not this way, who am I? Because this is what I've built my identity on for so long. My friends are this. What do I do if this isn't what I identify with anymore? This is a weird example. I don't know how it fits, but I'm thinking a lot about Coke and Pepsi right now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, like, yeah, well, not to get too deep into their history, but at one point, I don't remember who was trying to sell whose secret, but someone internally on one of the companies tried to sell their recipe to another one, but that other company turned them in. They have some clear process. Yeah, we're going to compete against each other. We're going to do that, but we're not going to sell each other out like that. Mm -hmm. We're not going to play dirty like that. I don't know. I'm just thirsty. <laughs> if I'm being charitable, the world is a complicated place and it's very overwhelming, a lot of things going on. So I can see people wanting to have simple anchors for like, this is this, this is this, this is who I am, this is who this other person is. And I can understand that and it's not overwhelming. But it seems like the magic of leadership is taking that box and throwing it out and seeing these new voices that you can bring in. Like Joseph talked about how Ed took a chance on him, mm -hmm. how he brought him in, how bringing in new voices to the conversation might feel threatening, but that's where the richness comes from too. That's where you get the chance to see things differently. That's where you get the chance to see people grow and take off. And you grow a better business, a better organization, one that more people feel like they're involved in and actually have a voice in rather than just being the token person or just there without saying anything. There were moments where it felt like it could have been the topic of retaining young people or yeah. risk mm -hmm. or things like that. I think we could have labeled this conversation so many things, but mm -hmm. polarization obviously was a thread throughout. Mm -hmm. I also heard a theme of being okay with being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and that showed up in the risk piece about being told no and being uncomfortable but trying anyway and then being uncomfortable to work with people that are different than you. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Burblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center or on Twitter at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. make Let's a podcast to sell books. That's all. That you get a free book with every download. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all it takes. Download it once. <laughs>